Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back, everyone, to the 195th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. In this episode, we talk to Elizabeth Bennett, an award-winning principal with over 35 years of experience in the school system as an educator and administrator. She coaches parents on how to have courageous conversations with their teens to build healthy and helpful relationships. Her new book, Courageous Conversations, a guide for parents to understand and connect with their teens, gives parents easy-to-implement strategies to create a powerful and loving relationship with their teen without lectures, shame, or guilt. Welcome, Elizabeth Bennett. Good afternoon. So glad you're here. So can you tell us a little bit about your 35 years of experience, and that's a long time, in the school system as an educator and administrator. And what are some of your key learnings? Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for inviting me onto your show today. It's an honor and a privilege. My 35 years have been extraordinary. It's been a magnificent career, but I've certainly seen the ups and downs of the tragedy and trauma, as well as celebration with kids throughout the years. Some of my learnings are that initially I thought I, you know, along my journey, I was having conversations with kids and trying to figure out first what was going on with all this bullying and what was making this happen. And I had happened to have a group of challenging students at this particular time who I'd seen sort of the pattern begin, oh, roughly in grade four. It seems to skip a year for girls. So in grade four, grade six, and grade eight is just the best (laughs) and the worst. I'd worked with a group of community agencies who had helped to support me in putting a program together. These kids were now moving into grade seven. And I thought that it was a really good idea at that point in time to shift the word from bullying into group dynamics. Because really, it's a lot about different kinds of dynamics and strategies and tips and tricks that kids need to learn too to be able to have conversation. 
So we ran this program. We had, you know, a keynote speaker. We did a survey before they started to find out where the kids were starting from. And then we also did a survey at the end of the day, too, to find out, you know, how they were feeling about that. Then we did another survey into their school year to see if the culture and climate of their building and in the classrooms and on the playground and so on, were they living up to what they needed to in order to help support these kids? And they were amazing results. When we first started off, the kids indicated that they were sitting at a, so zero to 10, zero being really terrible, 10 being, you know, through the roof excited and, and things are going really well. Most of the kids started in the area around three to begin with as the school year progressed and the teachers were informed and we did some training with them as well. And then they continued to have those conversations within their classroom and within their subject areas too, so that they, if they were doing a project on social studies and communities and so on, they could see the, the reason why people need to speak in a certain way or act in a certain way in order to, to be cooperative and collaborative rather than this is only my way and it's over here with me and too bad for you. This is the way it's going to go. So you can see that some of those things also happen in family dynamics. So we worked through that year and then I had the substance for what I now own as a book because then I took it off to the town where I was working at that particular time and we had conversation with the town councilors and the mayor and so on. And they thought it was a fabulous idea to get the community involved. And so they were striving at that point in time to have their community be a bully-free community. So that was really a wonderful thing. But as you and I both know, with things, new mayor or new counselors, new ideas, you know, I got shifted to another school because that's part of our experience too, to move around to different schools to do leadership and so with that, there was a decrease in stability of that particular program within the school. But that was okay because I was still part of the district and we could continue to have conversations, at least with our students, to help propel them forward with more skills and strategies and resilience and community and committed relationships and committed connections with each other. Then for a period of time, you know, I was doing research throughout it because I was with kids every day and with families every day. So I could hear the kinds of things that were going on and the struggles that kids were going through or even their parents. And so with that, I thought, hmm, I, you know, I want to be that person who's going to have that magic bullet to solve the problem of bullying. And I, I was in that little bubble for myself for a period of time. And then as I continued through my years, what I recognized was that it's really about community. And it's about community from the teachers and the support staff at schools. It's from the community in terms of relationships that kids get involved with in their activities. And it's also the main frame of it should be really with parents. So when we use that old adage that a village should raise a child, well, it really is. I mean, the family needs to be part of that village. So that's kind of how the journey started and where I am at this point. So as a result of that through the years, part of the book, I think, is a little bit of my own memoir and a self-help idea to help parents just look at different perspectives. This is about helping people just try something different, try something new, something maybe that you're not familiar with doing and, and give it a shot.
So your book, Courageous Conversation, has just come out. So it's Courageous Conversations. Is there a subtitle? Yes, it's a guide for parents to understand and connect with their teens. And I chose teens in particular because I love them so much. You know, they're full of piss and vinegar and they're, you know, their hormones are raging. They can be as defiant as all get out or they can be isolated or silent. There's a whole realm of that. And they are just so exciting to be with. And I just love the adventure and the challenges that come along with them. And being able to to sit down and have conversation and find out what's going on. Because in my years in education, I have found that we often don't value kids' voice. And we don't give them an opportunity to be able to contribute to conversation. And so this is a space to be able to say, well, why can't we try something different and something new? Because these kids are going to be our leaders, and they already are in some places and spaces in their own lives. And we need to be able to encourage them and provide them with a really solid foundation for them to move forward. Because there's so much turmoil that's going on in the world and they're seeing it every day. And so we need to be able to help them have these skills and strategies to be able to make it in the world. Because unfortunately right now, the second cause of death of teens is suicide. And that shouldn't be on our radar. It shouldn't be any place close to us. This should be about allowing children to be children and then to grow up as thriving adults. And that's why I'm thrilled to be able to have that conversation with you because we're both moving in the same direction to help support families. Yeah. You know, I've been working with teens probably the same amount of years as you have. But I'm curious in terms of working in education and the school system, like, do you see a difference in the mindset of teens? Do you see them more cynical, more pessimistic, or do you feel like that teen spirit is still alive and well that you saw 35 years ago? It shifted some. I think part of it has to do with where we've come from, because certainly that's a big pendulum. There was a time where kids weren't, children should be seen and not heard. Money doesn't grow on trees. Don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about. That kind of attitude and behavior. And we've certainly swung on that pendulum way over to the other direction where kids now are exposed to way more than they have been in the past. And so now there's a place where they're struggling to find out where they fit in that. So there are still some kids who are shy or hide away or so on, or they're feeling like they're intimidated even at home with big voices and, you know, and it's my way or the highway. And then there's a whole group that are blossoming at this point. That's what's fun about the teenager time is to see that blossom and to help some of those kids who don't know their way yet. It's not a one-size-fits-all. This is about really helping to support students and, and children as they come along. And we need to be there for them where they are rather than where we think they should be. And so that takes some time and navigating to get there. So what do you mean by a courageous conversation and what is not a courageous conversation? Well, courageous conversations means for me to step out of your comfort zone and to have those conversations that might be really challenging, might be really difficult for our parent to have, and to be vulnerable enough as the parent 
to be able to say, you know what, I don't know everything. I just want to be here to listen to you and to support you and so on. And then if there's an opportunity to seek out other counsel, then that's the time for them to be able to go together. Not having a courageous conversation is my way or the highway or how many times have I told you? Like it's more of a top down kind of thing. And I don't mean that parents need to be friends. That's not a particularly safe space either when young kids are looking for boundaries and direction and support and so on. But rather, that's the place to be able to be with them and walk alongside and acknowledge and really support them, however that looks. So you're really speaking to the parent. Yes. I'm having a courageous conversation. You're not talking to the teens. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. But that can also happen, too, because teens need to know where their parents are coming from and their history and their background, understanding a little bit more about what's gone on that's made that parent that way. We often forget that. We often forget that we come with whatever our trials or tribulations or a fabulous childhood as you're now a parent, most of the time becomes the filter that we look through. And sometimes what we need to do is to open that filter and move that away to be able to be in a different kind of place. And that takes a lot of courage to do that. Okay, which I think leads into what are the five strategies of dedicated listening? And they're not in any particular order, but I just created five of them. The first one is understanding versus judgment. And it could go either way, whether you're having the conversation with the teenager or whether you're having the conversation with the parent. For them to understand that you need to look beyond the behavior, to really be curiously engaged about what's going on. Give me some examples of what judgment looks like from a parent and how can they not do that? Because that's like so easy for a parent to do. Well, the judgment place could be, oh, you know, that's nothing. Don't worry about it. Whatever that situation is that that child has shared is big for them because they can't always see through their thought about it just being simple. So, I mean, because we both know that brain development takes a long time and they, you know, they don't have all their skills or strategies, full development and understanding of what the emotions all mean and how to deal with them and manage them and so on. I mean, even as adults, we sometimes don't know how to do it well. So, you know, when we're talking about someone who's 14 or someone who's 10, that's big for them. And so it could be something just because I happen to be a teacher. So I'll think about, you know, this test that's coming up or a project that they have to do, or they're going to stand in front of the class and do a presentation. Well, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. It's the people in your classroom. You know, the teacher will be fine. It'll all work out. You're prepared. And so it's not meant as a detrimental thing, but it could be. It could land over there with the the child as a detrimental kind of thing. They're not hearing their parent understanding them. And that's underneath. They're like, those are the behaviors and the emotions that are underneath. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're saying anything that kind of shuts down the conversation. You've already made a decision or a, a judgment or a conclusion And you shut the conversation down without really hearing the other person. Right. What's the second strategy? (laughs) Intentional time. So that's talking about removing distractions and really being with your child. 
And I get the world is busy. And we, you know, we use that sometimes too often as an excuse not to get engaged. The piece about the intentional time is really to set that time to actually put it in your calendar and make it something that's a regular kind of event. Yes, at first, if it's not something that you're used to doing, it's going to be a challenge and it's going to be different and it's going to be awkward. There's no doubt about, you know, all of those things. And parents have shared with me when they've tried some of them that they think the the easiest one for them to get started with is to go for a drive in the car. The boundary is set by being in your car or your van or your SUV, but there's still enough space so that you're both there at the same time. You don't have to look at each other. So you're not connecting, you know, that sometimes that can be threatening and uncomfortable for both people. And so there's still that space that's your own, your own little bubble. And at the same time, you're still together. So then parents can start conversations or not necessarily ask how your day was because I've got a whole litany on, on that routine, but rather engaging in conversation about a current event or something that they've seen that's made them happy or sad or any place in between. And so that helps to really engage. There are a couple of caveats to that. And one of them is that when parents set that time, and particularly if it's something that they're doing that's new to be able to have that one-on-one time, there needs to be, and this is a, a little piece of that judgment space, you need to be careful not to engage with saying, well, I set up this time and now we're not talking. And so I've wasted, I could have been golfing or I could have been doing this or I could have been doing that to get away from that and really just allow that space to be there and acknowledge your child at the same time for being there. Okay, great. A third strategy? Finding flow. So that's about allowing your child to navigate through the conversation. What I'm really trying to get across here is to have the teenager be the lead in that particular conversation and that it shouldn't be directed by the parent. Now, there could be curiously engaged, as I said before, about trying to find out more about it, what's underneath the conversation, what does it mean, how do they feel about it, and so on. And those are questions that can lead to the expansion of that conversation. In my book, Dial Down the Drama, I talk about the difference between a forced conversation and a spontaneous conversation. I think it's always helpful for a mom to not start with like, have you done your homework? Because that's a dead end. But (laughs) if you start with something that they're interested in or you get curious about something and they just talk on and on about it, then you get to that place where you're saying the flow. And out of that flow, they're comfortable and usually share way more than they even think they're going to share. I'm going to go back to the car because I think as a mother, I've experienced this a lot. I think sometimes the car isn't a great place because especially if it's like driving to school or from school, like my daughter, when she was in middle school, she felt like she was going to war, you know, it's difficult socially, difficult with school. So she was really stressed. Then she's trying to process everything that happened at school. She just needed some space. I think the key in terms of them opening up to you is they have to 
not be emotionally flooded themselves. They have to be in a, a relaxed right. state. So what I have seen is often those spontaneous conversations happen when mom, we are tired. And then she's like got her homework done and then she pops in the kitchen and wants to talk. So that is a part of it in terms of not forcing something. If they are relaxed, they tend to be more open. Mm -hmm. Well, and sometimes you'll get those kinds of conversations that show up right before they're ready to go to bed, right? And Always. Then that, ends Always. Up being, that ends up being an hour or two hours later, which is fabulous too. Because if they're willing and they feel relaxed and they feel less stress and less threatened by the conversation... And sometimes the courage that they have to share with you is the piece that's magic and bonus. So what are a few of the principles of a courageous conversation? Well, some of them are about the dedicated listening piece. It's a really good weaving in of those strategies together. So sometimes you have to listen and sometimes it's really about asking and being courageously curious and engaged about, so tell me more about, you know, when you said this, so some of it is about paraphrasing and you don't want to get caught up in the paraphrasing piece and sound like a psychologist because that shuts them down too, but rather just saying, so when you said this, tell me more about it so that I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Because oftentimes we'll be quick to respond or we'll be thinking of our own answer rather than really listening. We want to let them know that we're really listening. And so by saying back to them some of their own words, and not in a flippant kind of way, but when you said this, tell me a little bit more about that and be able to also acknowledge them for sharing what they're sharing with you. Because oftentimes that's difficult for them too. Mm -hmm. I think a principle with this too is so sometimes like tell me more about that could be judgmental and more kind of bombarding them with questions. If you're trying like a leading question where it's so then what happened and then what happened and then what happened, mm -hmm. then they're going to get defensive. They might not want to tell you more about it. When you really are curious, it's open ended. You're not trying to lead them to a specific place. That's again where I think they kind of spontaneously open up. That's where the courage comes in, too, when sometimes when parents don't know what to say and they don't know what that next question should be or or the direction because they're busy thinking about navigating it. But just being honest. And that's the vulnerable piece about this, too, is about saying you need to help me understand more about this so that I'm clear about what you're trying to tell me. Yeah, I like that because they do want to help you understand. So what are three ways to connect with your teen that won't end in a fight? That's a very interesting kind of question. It all weaves into having the courage to have conversation. It weaves into listening and being there and not having the answers and not being judgmental, but rather inviting your teen into a different kind of conversation so that you can work together to do things. So as an example... It could be something around the house, right? Where, like, I told you to put that away, or I told you to clean up your room, or how come you haven't cleared the dishes yet, or any number of those things. And if you come from it from a different perspective to say, 
let's have a conversation about this because it's not working as well as it probably should for all of us. I don't want to be yelling and screaming at you and I, I don't want to be nagging you. And I also don't want you to feel like you need to run away all the time. So let's try and figure out some kind of way that we're going to be able to help support each other in the house so that it becomes more of a conversation about contribution. So when you do the dishes or when you clean up your room or when you help out with things, that helps to contribute so that everybody in the house works well together. And then there isn't the same degree of zero to 100 in terms of someone's attitude or behavior or, you know, being angry about stuff, but rather then is valued as contribution. So in terms of conversations, what are kids desperate to discuss with their parents? Oh my gosh, there are so many things. One of them is about what would their parents think if their kids were at a party and they were offered drugs? And what do you do about that? And should they try it or not? Or if they try it, what are their parents going to say if they want to tell them or not? That's a whole conversation space with that. They're desperate to tell their parents about stuff that's going on that's happening to them at school in terms of bullying. So the kids are holding on stress and frustration and so on about how they're being treated or how they're seeing somebody else being treated. But at the same time, having that conversation with parents, they're not sure how the parent's going to react or respond. And we know full well that sometimes in the heat of the conversation as a mama or papa bear who runs to the school and says, what are you doing about this? Because my kid is being bullied. The child is fearful. The parent is going to create even the worst scenario. So they don't know how to present it to their parents for them not to overreact, but simply to be supportive of them through that particular situation. Because sometimes in sharing that message, the parent might be able to say to them, okay, well, let's take a look at how have you responded so far? And doing some of that, again, engaging conversation and being courageous about it, and also helping to develop resiliency for their child, rather than taking it on and saying, I'm going to fight the war for my kid. There's a space and place for that. And granted, you know, I'm certainly as a principal, I certainly welcome that so that we could have conversation to help support that child. So that's another area. Then another one is a child's lifestyle. That's a big space too. How do you tell your parents about what you're choosing as your lifestyle? And that's a difficult conversation like the others, but in some cases, or a relationship that's a multicultural relationship. Sometimes if the conversations that the child has heard at home have been detrimental at best, and they're hearing slurs and they're hearing commentary from one or both parents or in conversation with family and so on, and there's jests about it or there's commentary that's not comfortable for the child, then that's going to be a very difficult conversation to be able to bring home and say, guess what, mom and dad, this is who I want to be in my life. And getting that support for that could be very challenging. Absolutely. So you have an interesting perspective as a principal. What advice would you have for moms who do hear or see that their kid has been cyberbullied or that they've been date raped or the kajillion things that could happen? 
So when they're approaching the school, I think a lot of times you would see very angry parents or upset parents. So what advice would you have for them to really communicate effectively to the school so that everyone is working together? One of the pieces of advice that I would suggest is to ask for assistance with it. Here's what I believe to be going on with my child. This is what I hear and this is what's been shared with me. Can you help to support what's going on so that we can get to the bottom of this? My thought about it is that we're supposed to be working together to help support children and not separating or fighting it out at the expense of children. In my mind, we should be working as a community to help support. So if there are those issues that are going on, because sometimes the school doesn't know about it because kids are really good about keeping those things safe and sacred and holding on to them and thinking that they can solve the problem by themselves. We know that, you know, they don't have all the skills and strategies or the thought process or different perspectives oftentimes, because sometimes some of the things that they're holding on to that are really difficult for them are things that probably can be relatively easily managed by the adult presence to be able to help support. Coming to the school and saying, okay, this is what my child has shared with me so far, and I'd like your support to be able to find out what's going on here. Now, you may, as a school administrator or teachers, we may not know about it. And if we don't, then we need to be doing something about it. And if we do, then we need to be extending what's going on and how we can work together to make things change or be different. A typical response from a teenager when they don't want to talk is, how are things going? And they say, fine. I've, I've heard that probably 5 million times. So how would you, how can moms get past the fine? <laughs> I have a little segment in my book about this very topic. So the teenager comes in from school and the parent is excited to see them. And mom says, so hi, how was your day? And the child says, fine. So what did you do all day? Well, nothing. Well, what do you mean you did nothing, right? So there's that escalation for that parent. And then there's that, I'm not sure what to call that space right at the moment, but it's sure is shutting down pretty quickly. The parent doesn't get it because they're just asking a question that's harmless, basically. The escalation is going up for the parent. The apathy is going in this direction. The hoodie comes up, earbuds go in, the phone comes out and off that kid goes. And they're both heartbroken because the child wanted you to ask a different question and the parent doesn't know the question to ask. And so when I work with families, because I work with both sides of families, when I have conversation with the parents and I say, okay, we need to look at different questions to ask in different kinds of ways, right? And even when you do ask that question about, hey, how was your day? You know, and then you can be playful with things, too, when you ask those kinds of questions, because I don't want you to choose fine as an answer. Tell me something that happened that was great at school today, or tell me something that you saw that you had to think about for a bit, or tell me something that was very exciting, that made you laugh, bring joy to you for that moment, or something that perhaps you could have stepped into to help somebody and you didn't, and why or why not? You know, so there's a multitude of ways to be able to have those conversations and just be open to trying new things. Any more questions that the parents could ask? I think a lot of parents don't know what else to ask. So it could be something about, hey, I read this article. 
because I might suggest to parents that, you know, if they're reading an article or they're listening to a podcast or they're watching a television show or the news or whatever, and you might say, hey, you know, this happened in the world today. Or I read an article about, I heard this kid was trying to commit suicide or so on. Tell me what you know about that or or how do you feel about that? Would You know, is that something that you would consider? Because there needs to be an openness in the communication so that parents really know what's going on with their kids. So it could be, you know, you could extend it beyond you so that it's not uncomfortable to begin with. I saw an article, I watched a TV show. Hey, what did you think? I'm watching this new Netflix show or whatever. You can take things from the world and have some of those current event conversations and say, hey, what do you think about this? If you were to be anybody in the world, who do you think you might want to be? You know, what would you say to your younger self now about where you are in the world? How would you be able to tell your younger self what's going on now and being able to say, what do you think? What would two or three words be that you would tell your younger self to encourage them in the world? Yeah, I think I would add, if you are curious and you do the dedicated listening, then you're paying attention to a lot of the details in your teen's life. And then you just follow up on some of the details, not in a grilling kind of way, but just a curious way. So what happened when you saw, you know, Dahlia in the lunchroom today? You're just picking up on what they told you. You're tapping into something that they want to talk about. But sometimes how is your day? Their brains are fried. I've heard another question that can be helpful is just giving a number for your day. So in terms of how was your day, five, great, one, terrible, what number would you give today? Well, four. Okay, wow. So what made it a four today? So then they could tell a story about what made it a four. So for a brain that's pretty fried, one number is an easy thing to say, except you're actually getting more information with a number, like three. So it's kind of in the middle. It's kind of good, kind of bad. Yeah, well, what was kind of good? What was something that was kind of bad? then that's an easy way, open-ended, they can actually think of something. Well, and you might be surprised by it too, where they come in the next day and say, I had an eight day. Right. (laughs) Because if they get used to that kind of conversation, that'll be kind of cool. Yeah. Do you have any last advice for the moms listening today? One of them is that busy is always going to be there. And I believe that our children are more important than busy. So make time for your kids. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So where can moms find you or connect with you? And how can they find your book, Courageous Conversations? There's places and spaces on my website, because depending on who you like to order from, if you're interested in purchasing a book, you can go to my website. That's www.elizabethbennettgroup.com is my website. I also have a free gift for your listeners if they're interested in that. And it's kind of a combination thing. So they get a couple of tips and tricks, strategies to to continue having this similar conversation that we're having today. And if they're interested in booking a call so that we can have further conversation in the event that they might be interested in working with me, then I'd be delighted to do that too. And they can go to www.courageous-parents.com. All right. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you too, Colleen. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review 
This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning, best-selling books, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You, you can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.